Hi guys, this is Oki. And I'm Caddy. And this is Books, Cats, and Snacks. Books, Cats, and Snacks. I won't do it again. I won't do the Christmas I didn't again. know if you were going to sing this time. I wasn't. I was actually going to do it in Spanish, but then I forgot how to say snacks in Spanish. And then I was like, nah, we're just going to 86 that. Maybe you can just pick a Spanish snack. Libros, gatos, and, and comida. <laughs> okay, guys. <Kat>. Welcome. <laughs> So welcome to our Midway Check. We're currently reading In Five Years by Rebecca Searle. But what's even more exciting is we have a guest. Yes. This is our first guest. Um, we're so excited. We, we tried a mm-hmm. while back mm-hmm. and it didn't didn't work. So yeah. I want you guys to say hi to Jesse. Hello, ladies. Hello, audience. <laughs> <laughs> um, Jesse gets to talk about a book that he picked check for this check-in too. So this is going to be a fun long episode you get three people but we're going to start with caddy's cat story first my cat oh your cat story first oh, though. cats all right so just a disclaimer um please don't judge me by the cat story that i'm going to tell you i immediately judged her when she yeah, told she me did. this she did. all right <laughs> okay so I, I i i thought it was funny there's some channels on youtube that are geared for cats so it's a lot of oh like it's birds, it's squirrels, and like nature. And so I thought I was like, this is hilarious. Whoever did that, and they were like, put it on for your cat. And I was like, you know what? I'm gonna do it. I'm gonna do it. So, so it's like a, it's like a showing on it's TV. Nature. It's like somebody put their camera outside and has a feeder, and like nature just comes and eats from this feeder, uh. and it's just on a loop. And they have some that go for like eight hours. They have some that go for a little bit, but it's it's really neat, and it's like different parts of the world. Sounds very relaxing. Yeah, it's it's really relaxed. Since I have the two cats, I put it on opposite TVs for them. Oreo was like, eh, whatever, I don't care. I'm going to go sunbathe. So Oreo was like, deuces, I'm out. So she went to the other room. She didn't care. <laughs> Creos, on the other hand, this is like, I. it's a whole new world for her. She <laughs> stood in front of that TV for like, I swear, like four hours. She was just back and forth watching the birds, watching the squirrels. And then she would like jump up to the TV because she thought they were there. She's like, who the hell is in my house? And she's just like batting at the TV and she's just losing her mind. And I was like, you know what? We can't do this because she's going to break that TV. Yeah. And that's a new TV. How big is your cat? She's <laughs> tiny. She's like six, seven. She's feisty. Yeah. Well, I mean. I was say, she can break a TV. This cat you know? is diabolical. <laughs> like, don't, don't underestimate the Cree Cree because she will tear something up. So I told Chris, hey, man, we have to not have this TV on anymore. Like, I can't, I can't afford, like, because we're going to come home and it's going to fall on her. What was the second cat's name again? Um, there's Creos. Um, that's Chris's cat, and then Oreo is my cat. Chris just sounds kind of like such a cool name for any sentient being. Uh, it's from a video game. There was a character on the video game named John Creos, and it was Chris's favorite video game, so he wanted to name his cat Creos. I like it. Yeah. Even though she's a girl. Even, well, because we thought she was a boy at first, but then it turns out she's a girl, and he's like, I'm not changing it. And I'm like, all right, cool. Let's leave it. All right, so Chris says, you know what? I'm going to remedy the situation because I can't leave Creos without her bird watching. So he takes a, an old TV from that we had before. He okay. takes it, puts it in the room on the floor of our bedroom. That's a good idea. And that's now Creos's TV to bird watch. <laughs> I'm sorry. Put, this is really bougie. <laughs> yeah. Oh, it's, it's, it's bougie. He went a step further and put her cat bed in front of the TV. So she now oh sits in her cat bed watching like blue jays and squirrels. And I'm like... You've, I was like, we've crossed a line of like, <laughs> you guys have. We have crossed a line. Gave one her own room with a TV. <laughs> 
Yeah, pretty much. I was like, oh, dear God, there's families of 12 that don't even have a TV in their house. And my cat has her personal TV to watch. At least she doesn't have a butler, you know? I mean, th that's us. We're her butlers. Like those old Fancy Feast commercials, you know, you're showing up in a tuxedo with the silver tray. Will there be anything else, madam? That's pretty much it. Like, people, please don't judge me. We're literally two millennials that don't have any children. And all <laughs> of our attention and love and money goes to these two little felines, so... <laughs> I blame Christopher. If you want to blame both of us, you know, it's cool. But that's that's how we're ending. That's where we're at. <laughs> I can't believe she has her personal. Freaking TV. <laughs> okay, so let's move on. Um, I'm going to start with my book first. And we're going to go to Jessie. And then, of course, Caddy has her book that she's prepared. So I just want to interject with our oh, yeah. traditional spoiler alerts. So for each of these books, there will be things that we're going to talk about. And you may, if you haven't read the book, it may ruin it for you. So, you know, consider that before. And also there is a language disclaimer. There may be a few words that you might find, you know, inappropriate. Or I will be using the word whore quite frequently. There you go. There's That's, that's, okay. that's the first one. That's the first one. <laughs> there you go. So, <laughs> so uh, if that bothers you guys, of course listen to one of our other wonderful episodes but there you okay. go that's the end of my disclaimers thank you Kenny. okay so the book that i'm talking about today it's called for your own good by samantha downing it was published july 20th 2021 so it was published last year samantha downing is a fairly new author mm -hmm. but she like found success almost immediately oh cool Right, she has three other books besides this For Your Own Good, but on a quick side note, this book is actually being made into an HBO Max series with, I don't remember who the actors were, I think Robert Downey Jr. and somebody else. Oh. So I'm really excited to see the series on this one. The cool part about this book is it's about a Belmont Academy, which is this posh private school that's all about like getting money from the rich parents like and the gossip girl kind of gossip girl type. And it's interesting okay. to okay. talk about this book when Jesse is, you know, has his hands in teaching and this is all about teachers and students for my book. <laughs> but the book centers around this character. His name is Teddy Crutcher, Mr. Crutcher, Mr. C. He's their cool teacher of the year guy. But Everything that goes through this book, you have to keep thinking of the title for your own good. Like this guy is obsessed with doing things that, quote unquote, doing a favor for his students. You know, like he will challenge a student, even though they they wrote a paper they did just fine, but he'll be like, um, it's a B, just because it's for your own good, so they can practice it more and more. I had an English teacher like that in high school. But the thing about this book is that it's, there's a crime that goes with it. Of course, there is. Right. Is this, a, is this like in a series of other books? No, this is its own it's standing. Own oh, okay, but what's cool, cool about it is it's from so many different point of view, mm -hmm. but you don't get lost into who's what. You know those movies when you see a scene, you know, something happens, and then it cuts to another scene coming from a different point of view, the exact same scene, but just from somebody else's, you know, eyes? Mm -hmm. It's kind of like that. The way it's written... Okay. It's the total opposite of what we've been reading a lot. But she writes in a way that it just says what the character does, thinks, and what's going on. And it goes to the next person, what the character does, thinks, and their actions. So there's really not a lot of descriptive things like 
like we don't really know or care what Belmont looks like. Oh, yeah. You know, like cool. she didn't build up like oh this building is from the 1800s and this and that. No, it's literally really character driven. Like she whistled in the trees and they blew just like the fall Yeah, I don't of need all that in this book. <laughs> right. So, one of the parents gets murdered in this book near toward the beginning of the book. Okay. And so it's kind of like he's doing them a favor when this happened, but he made a mistake and this and that. I'm not giving it away too much or anything, but it's really, really fun. And it's coming from all these different point of views. Don't kill me because I know you said I love going back and forth on different people. Mm -hmm. But this is definitely back and forth from different point of views. It's a really quick paced book. Mm -hmm. It's almost like watching an episode of something in one short chapter and then you go to the next episode and something else happens kind of like 24 <laughs> kind of like 24 perfect okay. yeah so we're looking at the same event but from the points of view of different characters kind of kind of like that but that. it it does move along okay because i was getting a mental picture of something like akira kurosawa's rashomon or something like that but one funny thing about i mean it's a this book is totally bonkers. It's a total acid trip, really. Okay. And it's a lot of fun to read. It's really laid back and chill, but yet it the action moves along mm-hmm. pretty well. I'm, I'm not sure if her other books are written in this manner, but I mean, I'm not sure if she writes this way in her other books. Mm-hmm. But so far, this, is, this has been a fun ride. It's a nice change of pace oh. from the bell jar that we read last time yeah but the main character teddy one of his big things when he does something crazy like i said cr- like criminal something crazy he enjoys a glass of milk to go with it and he only he only drinks milk from like glass bottles you know but that's his like his thing like oh i'm he makes sure he drinks milk and that's just one of those quirky character thing that i really enjoy in this book when does this uh, novel take place? At the current time. Oh, okay. Yeah, it's current time. She published it last year. That's why the bottle of milk kind of threw me off. That's what I was like. Is this like 1956? <laughs> yeah, because the glass bottles of milk. I mean, yeah. You can start buying them he's now like, I can't still. do it. I can't do it right now because the milkman hasn't come. He's been out <laughs> sick. Precisely, you know? I, I highly recommend this book. It's it's good. a quick, fun read. You know, you don't take it too seriously, but... But you really enjoy all the little quirks that happen. Okay, so effectively fear and loathing in Las Vegas, but set in high school. Oh my gosh, yeah. Kind of, <laughs> yeah. Okay, okay. You can you can go that route if you want, kind of. It's kind of far stretch, but yeah. But yeah, yeah, yeah. I couldn't interest <laughs> Thompson as a teacher, though, so. <laughs> it's a Pretty Little Liars kind of thing. Uh, I've never uh, seen that, but I just okay. assume. I've never seen it either. <laughs> I'm going to imagine it with Hunter S. Thompson anyway, so. Uh, there you go. Go for, <laughs> it. There you go. go for it. So we have a little trivia and quiz that uh, from this book, I kept thinking about milk, okay, because milk is like this revelation for him like he has of his milk kind of thing reminds me of just and it does a body good right there you go <laughs> so we are gonna do a little trivia and quiz okay for with regarding to milk moo so since we have caddy and jesse i'm gonna have you guys each take a turn of the answer and i'll tell you the right answer but first i just want to mention that some of the facts about milk the world's rarest cheese is made from donkey milk no, I don't even know the name of the cheese. When I was researching this, that's just what it says. Yes. Do you milk a donkey? I didn't know that. You can milk anything that has nipples, but do you want to? 
Right? Well, donkey milk apparently makes a really rare Is this type Italian of cheese. cheese? I have no freaking idea. Yeah, Genghis Khan and his uh, men actually used to live off of uh, horse milk. Okay. Ooh. <laughs> Ooh. Don't ask how I knew that. That's that's rough. <laughs> Only can, he would. You know what I mean? You I can text us like later how you do that. <laughs> so on average... A cow produces how many gallons of milk each day? I'm gonna give oh, you guys sweet Jesus. I'm gonna right. give you guys uh, multiple choices. Okay, okay, yeah, and I'll you. get Caddy to answer first, and then Jesse. Okay, I think I know the answer. So on average, a cow produces either 2.4 gallons a day, 6.3 gallons a day, or 1.6 gallons. So 2.4, 6.3, or 1.6 gallons. Uh, I'm gonna Caddy. say 2. Whatever. 2.4? Yeah. That's your answer? That okay. seems like a median thing. Yeah. How about you, Jesse? I will say 6.3. I've seen cows and how massive those udders are when they're uh, kind of in <laughs> He is correct. Jesus. Yeah. On average, it produces that much milk. And wow. that's only average. So imagine like the highest Well, one. then there is that one cow that only knows the 2.4. So <laughs> I need my half credit on that, please. <laughs> Next trivia question. Next trivia question. What country is the world's largest producer of milk? India, Singapore, or France? I'm going to have Jesse answer first. Okay. I know cows are considered sacred in India, but there's some kind of ritual that they use the milk for. France has a, is known for all of its cheeses, but I got to go with India on all the cream that they use. All the use. creams and all the various cheeses. I mean, fromageries are like a serious thing, but I got to go with India on this one. Okay, Caddy. So India, Singapore, or France? I'm just going to say Singapore because that's like the last country I would have thought <laughs> did it. Okay, the answer is India. Yeah. Okay. So two for and zero two, here. Two to zero. Right, there. so India is the world's largest producer of milk. Okay. Mind you, their main product is skimmed milk powder. I am a cornucopia of inconsequential trivia. All right, here's a few more. Um, well, this part is just a little info. Milk is still produced by family farms. According to the U.S. Department of Agriculture, nearly 98% of dairy farms in the U.S. are still, farm, are still family-owned and operated. I thought that was kind of a cool yeah, that's fact. Cool. Yeah. yeah. Okay, but last trivia question. An average American consumes how many gallons of milk in a year? They do 12 gallons of milk, 8 gallons of milk, or 18 gallons of milk. So, Caddy, 12, 8, or 18. Average American in one year. Don't think of Justin. <laughs> Justin will be like 50. I'm going to say 12 because I think I barely do a gallon of milk a year. Okay. I'm not a big milk drinker. You live in the most gluttonous country on the planet. <laughs> I mean, Americans are stuffing their face constantly. In fact, I'm I'm surprised we're not eating right while we're doing this. Okay. Uh. <laughs> if you count all the the milk, the cheese, the butter, and all this other stuff, I'm gonna go with it with 18. Correct. Correct. 18 gallons of milk a year, an average <laughs> American. Yeah. It seems a lot, doesn't it? It does, it does. I was trying to think of eight points. I can't math. Because you're imagining it in one sitting. Don't do that. Uh, oh, one sitting. Ah. <laughs> I can't drink all that. Although I know sitting, someone who could probably have, drink that much milk at once. It's like a Makes hat you that, you know, with the little, like the guys that use with the beer at the yeah. football games. A little, a little <laughs> I'm pumped. We go through about a gallon 
a week. We go through a half gallon, like maybe every two weeks. Maybe. We definitely go through like a gallon a week. Yeah, There's we, only two of us. We switched to organic <laughs> because it lasts longer because we were buying like regular milk and it would go. And I literally would, like throw away a whole thing of milk. And I was like, uh, this is no. the most awful thing in the world. God, between throwing away milk and my cat having his own TV, I'm like the bougiest biache ever. <laughs> yeah, right now you sound right like now, but she's not. Please don't hate me. We love her. I, no, you're not. You're I nice. love coupons, and I drive the oldest and shittiest car you would ever know. So just letting you people know. My car is older than you are. My, I'm still caddy from the block, all right? So, okay. so that was my... My portion of this check-in. So that book was For Your Own Good by Samantha Downing, and we got to talk a little bit about milk. So let's go to Jesse and his book. Our guest, Kai. Well, it, first off, thank you for making me your first guest. Uh, the book I'm discussing is, let's see, Joseph Heller's Cats 22. Don't know if you guys can see that clearly. Can you? Okay, go this. Okay. Ex-girlfriend of mine, um, who was a librarian, said, you're ex-military you will love this book. Okay, a gazillion years ago, when I was a stupid young Marine, I had a sergeant come up to me and say, Handy! Sir, what, what? And he's like, you're one in the captain's office tomorrow morning, 0800. What's it about? How the hell should I know? Okay. Any officer calling you into their office is a big deal. So I had to shine a pair of boots, starch a pair of khakis, run out and get a haircut. I had to make sure I looked like some guy who just stepped off of a poster for the United States Marine Corps. I show up in this captain's office the next morning at 7.30. Supposed to be there at 8, but I'm at 7.30. He arrives at 7.45, walks past and gives me this look. I'm like, damn, what did I do? You know, so I sit and wait for the obligatory 15 minutes. He calls me in. I'm like, sir, private hand reporting his order. And he, he just stands there for a good He's sitting there for a good 10, 15 seconds. Doesn't say a word just to make me uncomfortable. And he was like, you know why you're here. And I'm like, uh, no, sir, I do not. And he was like, come off it, PFC. You know why you're here. Uh, sir, with all due respect, Captain, I have no clue as to why you asked me to be here. He was like, he takes out a file, gives it to once over and says, you're honestly saying you don't know why you're here. No, sir, I don't. And he's like, Okay. Is your name Brian Handy? And are you from Baltimore, Maryland? I'm like, uh, no, sir. My name's Jesse Handy, and I'm from Texas. And he was like, he gets this look on his face that if to say, oh. <laughs> he was like, uh, well, in that case, uh, son, I owe you an apology. Uh, we've kind of made a small mistake here. Uh, you can uh, go back to your barracks. Uh, but you know who Brian Handy is? Uh, yes, Captain. He's like, uh, what do you do? That's none of your business, okay? Get out. Okay, leaving, you know. <laughs> I would have asked Now you. I want to know. And that is the you. kind of bureaucracy that you face in the military all the freaking time. So when we get in the middle of this novel, we got this guy named Yosarian who, jo- who joins the Army Air Corps, which is what the Air Force used to be called back in those days, and decides he wants okay. to sign up for bombardier training. Here's the Fun thing about that, bombardier training takes forever. He's assuming that the war is going to be over by the time he gets there. He was wrong. (laughs) So he finally arrives in Italy. And after going up a couple of times and being shot at, he comes to realize he wants to be any place but the Army Air Corps. So 
he keeps trying to dream up these ways of getting grounded, being taken out of the air, uh-huh. being sent home. So he eventually comes up to like uh, this one doctor and says, okay, how do I get out of here? He was like, oh, well, you fly the number of missions you're supposed to fly. Here's the problem. His colonel, this guy named Colonel Cathart, keeps saying, all right, we're the best unit here. So we're going to fly X number of missions. We're doing 25. Everybody motivated. Yay. Uh, here's the thing. The colonel wants to get rid of that bird on his shoulder and replace it with a star. So he's decided we're going to fly more missions than everybody else. So right before Yesarian makes it to that match of 25 uh, missions, we're going to fly 30 missions now. Great. <laughs> Goes to the shrink and says, okay, you got to get me out of here. Dude, I'm crazy. Get me out of here. He's like, yeah, you are crazy. Then sign something saying I'm crazy. Yeah, here's the thing. The, the fact that you possess um, the ability to realize that going into combat and getting shot at is crazy. You, you clearly of your, are of right mind. Now, if you thought, you know, hey, this is normal and I'm really ready to get into combat, then I'd have to declare you crazy. But because you want to go up, if you wanted to go up, I'd have to ground you. But oh, because okay. you don't want to go up, you're clearly sane. So, Cast 22, can't send you. Screw you. <laughs> no. That and the doctor's scared that if he does say that if the guy's crazy, they're going to send him to the Pacific where the real war is going on, which they wound up doing anyway because somebody screwed up his paperwork and wound up sending him there. And in the, pro- in the midst of this whole novel, you're going to encounter characters that you're going to see on every military base. Okay. They're con men. They're officers who are total politicians who are just trying to get their next promotion, like his colonel. <clears throat> you're going to have the real people like this guy named Major DeCoverly, who scares the living piss out of everybody. <laughs> this dude named Major, Major, Major. That's his given name. Oh, wow. Who the, no, the man's given name is Major, Major, Major. His, his surname is Major, so his father decided to be funny to name him Major. Okay. And then decided, as for a middle name, how about Major? Who hated uh, corporate welfare and uh, people getting money they didn't deserve, but always lived on fa- farm subsidies for some reason. His son decides to join the army during the war. Somebody looks at his paperwork and sees Major all over the place, so guess what they promoted him to? <laughs> <laughs> no, he came close to making Colonel before the book ends. No, so it's he like a they major. immediately promoted him to major. And they figured since it's too much paperwork to put him back down a lieutenant, we'll just let him remain major. Major, major. Major. Aw. Man. Now, someone, someone, <laughs> nominated, nuts. someone recommended him to, to promote him to lieutenant colonel. This guy named PFC Wintergreen, who, by the way, seems to control most of the paperwork in this book, decided, that son of a bitch doesn't deserve to be a freaking lieutenant colonel. Screw him. <laughs> <laughs> Okay. Now, in the midst of all this, we have this one industrialist by the name of uh, Nately, who he's basically like the George W. Bush of this thing. Well, the George H.W. Bush of this thing. He's from one of those rich families who decides, well, not just the poor kids need to go to war. So he's one of the pilots in this thing. Um, He goes to Rome and falls in love with a prostitute. Don't they all? No, <laughs> this is where it gets weird. It's no. like, no, Caddy. <laughs> no, weirder still. He meets this enchanting young woman and decides he wants to engage her for the night. But instead of doing the usual thing one does with a prostitute, he lets her sleep. She then falls madly in love with him because 
he let her sleep. Anybody who lets me sleep, I would fall in love with them. True story. (laughs) Exactly. Problem. On one of their missions, he winds up dying and it's all Yossarian's fault. So she spends the rest of the novel tracking down Yossarian and attempting to stab him. Oh, Oh, whoa. (laughs) And she possesses this beautiful ability to always know where he is at any given point and always seems to have have a stiletto with her. Uh, (laughs) woman was incredible i loved her in this book and in fact they they didn't even give her a name they just called her nately's whore really (laughs) that's how they refer to her the whole book the character's name was literally nately's whore and like okay there's also this general who's a total politician named dreidel whose executive officer is his son-in-law who they promote who's like a businessman so they decide to make him a colonel during the war and the general is a real party animal with a bombshell secretary whom he apparently had some kind of a thing going on with until his son-in-law showed up. So he makes his son-in-law miserable every chance he gets. In the interim, Yossarian keeps trying to figure out how the hell am I going get, to get grounded, get out of this war. Because his attitude is he doesn't want, he's not waiting for the war to end. He just right. wants to leave because of how absurd he finds the whole thing. Yeah. And of course, the most interesting character is this guy named Milo Mindabinder, who is a lieutenant who takes over as a supply officer. If you've ever served in the military, supply officers are the most larcenous human beings you're ever going to meet. <laughs> Those guys steal everything. They will get a report <laughs> and say, OK, we, we were supposed to receive 20 of these. Eh, I'm only counting 17. <sighs> uh. Those, other, Those other three wind up on the black market someplace. And Milo, in essence, starts a small corporation with all the stuff that he steals from the Army Air Corps. (laughs) Okay. And, like, there were parts of this book that while I was reading it just made me laugh so hard I thought I was going to, like, need need an appendectomy or something. I mean, seriously. (laughs) Like, like, he had a side hustle, you know? He was... You know, the, the side. No, it kind of reminded me of me and some of the stuff I was doing when I was uh, a stupid young Marine and <laughs> selling cigarettes for 10 bucks a pack. Wow. Which I, which I bought for a buck. Oh, yeah. smart, though. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this was in 1989, though. So like, <laughs> a, a carton of cigarettes only sent me back 10 bucks. Wow, that's pretty smart of you, Jesse. Yep. <laughs> I could have gotten court martialed for it, so... <laughs> So not but so smart. Story for another day. Okay. <laughs> but on the whole, I'd recommend this book because Yossarian as a character, he's not really an everyman. He's a bit of he's a bit of a tool. But there's a part of you that just wants to see him get the hell out of there. And like the relationships that he forms with those around him are actually kind of nice. And you have characters, you're gonna see at least one person that you recognize in, in this novel. And for that reason, I'd actually recommend it. That and there are parts of it that I have to admit, even if you didn't serve in anyone's branch of service, are pretty damn funny. Okay. I feel like every character that you've talked about, even though we never served or whatnot, we can relate to somebody. Yeah. Just by their they actions. They just remind you of somebody. Somebody, something. Yeah. That's pretty clever. Yeah. This book sounds really interesting. And it is a great book, and unfortunately... Uh, the follow-up that uh, that Heller did wasn't as good. Oh, oh man, that sucks. Was he popular for anything else, or just no, for he, Catch Twenty Two? He chose a minor character from the novel, 
and decided the second book's going to be about this guy after he gets home from the war. And eh. kind of lost it. Oh, okay. Yeah. I mean, it's sort of like the book that was a follow up to MASH. I mean, oh, just, I, see. I kept thinking work. MASH when he was talking about this, like, and I thought of the character, the main character as like Jamie Farr's character in MASH. Like he was a crossdresser to get out of the war. Like he wanted to oh, go yeah. home. And I was in my head, I kept thinking, I was like, maybe he should have taken up like cross-dressing. So, well, it's funny how you're bringing up MASH because the whole time I'm listening to you talk about these characters, I went toward like, more like drama, like serious notes versus like the funnier <laughs> aspect of it. I know you said it's a lot of dark humor and stuff and you were laughing at some part, but I kept thinking like, is this supposed to be a serious book? Like I kept rewinding that in my head. You know, no, I wasn't well, sure. Well, these guys, okay, consider something. They've been sent to Italy, in essence, to bomb all the areas where the Germans are. But you have this cast of complete and total clowns and yes-men and <laughs> people like um, Colonel Cathcart who, can, who don't care how many of their men are blown off the face of the earth if it means him getting a star on his shirt. Right, which, okay. which is yeah. really effed up, but you kind of have to admit, you know, if you look at it in the grand scheme of things, it's sad and funny at the same time because it actually does happen in warfare. Yeah, like all these people are just regular dudes. Right. You know, and which is why I'm glad I served in peacetime and got out right before war started. Thank you, God. <laughs> but I had one of those jobs that my only my, my worst enemy would have been myself, uh, given my MOS. So I was one of those guys who was putting bombs on the jets. So. I probably would have blown myself up or something. Who knows? Jesse. <laughs> because of my own incompetence, not because, you know, oh, look, woe is me. No, no. Anything else to add to your book? Now, on the whole, like I said, I'd recommend the novel because it shows you um, a side of the, the Second World War that we don't often get to see, i.e. the fact that not everybody in it was the were these really gung-ho guys who were saying, let's do this for America. He's like... War is stupid. I don't want to be here. Please send me someplace else. Oh, <laughs> no. This sounds really interesting. Yeah, actually. it really does. Well, I mean, because World War II is shown as such a patriotic time. Like, everybody did everything. Like, right. women, we were in the factories. We didn't just stay at home. We were picking up our sleeves and taking pictures on posters. You know, and then just kind of interesting to see. And there were like, quite a few women in uniform, actually. Yeah, and just to see, like, the part of basically just being like, man, this is shit. Why why are we doing this? <laughs> like yeah. I would love to read this book now, yeah. actually. Yep, I never knew what it was about, honestly. I never knew like I said before, I always thought it was really serious. He gives you lots of exposition on each of the characters, including the minor ones, and you want to learn more about each of these people. That's a that's, that's pretty that's good. good writing if he keeps right? reading more. Yeah. Yeah. And like I said, I was literally laughing on every page. That's how funny this book was. There's some serious moments in it, but for the most part, you will laugh at some point while you're reading this book. Out loud. Out loud. <laughs> it's the only way I do it. There's no internal, internal laughing here. I loved what you did there. That was so great. Thank you for bringing that to the table, man. That was pretty, pretty interesting. Oh, one last thing. The doctor who uh, didn't want to uh, give Yossarian his discharge because he was nuts. Well, the Army Air Corps screwed something up. They wound up sending him to the Pacific anyway, accidentally uh, declared him dead via their paperwork. 
And his wife decided that she was going to collect his army pension because, you know, if you're the widow of someone who dies in combat, you are getting a pension for the rest of your life. So she got his bank account. Let's see. She empties out his bank account, sells the house, um, changes her name, collects his pension, and then just moves on. But the messed up part about the whole thing is she knew he was alive the entire time. Oh. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> That's it's so that part messed of- up. It's funny. Like, yeah. I get it. I get it. I get it. It's like, what the actual hell? I get it. <laughs> I just have a really terrible sense of humor, actually. Hey, I, I'm right along so with have, you there. Which is why this book is yeah, so much fun. Okay, so. I get it. It's like it just looks like a, a comedy of errors in my head. Like, yeah, like a like a kind of like Fargo, like that Coen Brothers. Like it's funny, but yeah. it's not. Yeah, I can see that. Yeah, and it's like one of these things. While reading this thing, all I could think was, I'm so glad I did not have to serve under any of these officers. <laughs> no. that sounds about right so well let's funny. go to caddy's book then <sighs> from that my book my book which is pales in comparison to the other two books now I hey feel. mine was I'm like like a toy <laughs> for you guys to play with for a bit there and you know i brought the milk here so all right caddy let's do your book next okay so i am Pretty much a self-proclaimed, like, I'm fascinated and intrigued by Jack the Ripper. She is, you guys. I've, I've been, like, I, you know, I like to say that I know this and that and the others, cross streets, the victims, all these things. I, you know, I've, I've tried to watch and read what I can from that, especially documentaries, podcasts, all that good stuff. I've, I've heard, like, some someone had written a book about it. And like me, I thought it was a traditional, like, oh, they're just going to talk about forensic stuff. They're going to talk about, right. you know, maybe some new information. Maybe there's a new a new perpetrator, a new, you know. Not a new theory. A new theory of it. Thank you. But actually, it wasn't. It was a podcast that I found. And it was um, called Bad Women. And okay. it was narrated by Hallie Rubenhold. And it was based off the book, The Four. It was the untold stories of the women killed by Jack the Ripper. And you know their names, you know they were prostitutes, but you don't really know anything about their life. So in this book, she tries to say, hey, pretty much just like, hey, guys, we're never going to find out who he is. Let's be real. It's been 130 years accepted. Move on with your lives. There was some women that, that this happened to. Why are we not focusing more on them? Why are they a trinket of... What's going on? Why is he getting all the glory when, you know, he brutalized these poor... There were victims. Five souls. Exactly. I mean, she just kept saying, you know, why are we not talking about the the five souls that lost their lives, essentially? So the book is telling you about each of the five women. And, you know, they were mothers. They were sisters. They were, you know, wives. Then they were not, they were girlfriends, you know, and only two out of the five women, the canonical victims, were actual prostitutes. They can oh. actually be said that they were, in fact, prostitutes. Did not know that. Yeah, at the cur- yeah, exactly. She talks about it. And I'll tell you why it got the moniker was put on all, all of these women. So one of the first one, either they were currently a prostitute or they had been so in the past. All right, so she kind of said, so Hallie Ribbonhold, she was born in England. She specializes in 18th and 19th social history and in women's studies. That's where her her majors are. She's written a few books already, and most of them are around prostitution and this point in time. And actually, one of her books, The Covent, the Covent Garden Ladies, inspired the show Harlots. 
Oh, I love that the show. show yeah. That show's nuts, man. So, yeah, yeah. It's pretty crazy. So, in a lot of the books, because these women are prostitutes, she deals with their past, their their tragedies, their ups, their downs, you know? Like, she's giving them a voice because when you hear the word prostitute, it automatically gives you a bad stigma in your head. Like, these aren't real people. These, these are subhuman, you know? And she gives a voice to these women. A lot of people theorize that's part of the reason why Scotland Yard didn't really uh, work that hard to solve the cases because... They presume, mm-hmm. well, it's just a prostitute who cares. Yep, pretty much. And like the same, the same trend was uh, followed in Los Angeles with the Black Dahlia murder. Yep, uh, this the murders occurred over the past, like the summer of eighteen eighty eight. Okay, so England in 1888 had a very big dis- disbursement between rich and poor. So you were, it was like really royal, or you were like Dickens poor. You know what I mean? Okay. There was a few in between, but like when they say poor, these it was poor. The slums of London, yeah. Pretty much. And it's, just think Dickens, that's that's what's going mm-hmm. on. Smells, poverty, just disease, violence, okay. crime, addiction. It just ran rapid around this particular Or part. you are really To the rich. point where people, right. or, or you have like a little, yeah, they're like the middle class is like this big. You know what I mean? And um, just... And of course, nobody in that that no indoor plumbing, so there's just stuff everywhere. Should I say? <laughs> okay, <laughs> stuff. In a lot of these slums, a lot of the people were homeless. They didn't have a really a term for homelessness. They're just people who who did who slept rough. That's what they always say. Slept okay. rough, which means you slept outside. And at this point in time, you know, women didn't really have rights, a voice, unless you were attached to a man. And divorce wasn't a big, divorce wasn't a thing. Like, divorce wasn't an option unless you had the money to do so. I see. Okay. So anything that you did that wasn't attached to, you, you know, you're, you're in your man, then you were automatically considered just like, oh, she's, 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 a, you know, she's a slut. She's this, she's that, she's the other, because she's not attached to this man. Because, you know, and. That's tragic. And even if you had money uh, and were divorced, there was a stigma attached. Even to it. like, and if you, if a woman wanted to come up to the court and be like, "My husband's just cheating on me all the time," they're like, "Well, he's just cheating." Oh, so well, what? Not, what did you do wrong? What, yeah, and I'm not granting you a divorce just on that. He pretty much had to cheat on you and then beat the crap out of you. It was a very big like way to prove that. What exactly were you doing to warrant your husband beating you, madam? Yes, madam, will you stop wasting the court's time? Yes. Ugh. And of course, it was, what did you do? Yeah. Oh, what did you do? Oh, you must have done something. So even then, it was really hard for these women to get away from that. Because it was always, because you're a woman, you're not. It's right. not worth your time, pretty much. And because these women didn't have a home, didn't have a husband, didn't have kids, there's always something wrong with you, of course. Of and course. because you live in the street, because you don't have a roof over your head, you must, and how do you pay for yourself? You must sell your body. So a lot of these women that weren't lived on the streets were labeled prostitutes because of this, because they lived in the streets, not necessarily saying because you sold your body for sex. A lot of them did. I'm not saying they didn't. That didn't exist. But I'm just saying that moniker was kind of put on all of them. So that's why when you see things that they say they were all prostitutes. Because like uh, there was an old popular statement in the late 1800s, women of the town, which was just another way of saying that you were some random floozy who could just be picked up for whatever. Yeah. Oh, wow. And, and when, you, when you lived in the streets, when you lived under these certain um, conditions, it was really dangerous for you to be by yourself because, again, you don't have rights. So you right. can't bring up and say, hey, I got touched this certain way or, hey, this happened to me because they're not going to believe you. Because you're on the streets, you deserved it. You were asking for it. You know, so a lot of these women would just get with the guy just for that protection, just for that, usually for protection. Right. 
for just to say I'm, I'm with Jimmy. And this is all or in our book. Phil. Like explaining yeah, she talks about all it. She this. talks about That's it. She pretty goes through all of them. Most of them have like a boyfriend and they say it's because, you know, it's just when you're living on the streets a little, you know, and it's kind of like an understanding. You both are going through the same plight. You know what I mean? It's, it's, it's easier to go through it with someone than just by yourself too. So, and there was a lot of like gangs and violence in this time too. And there was a lot of gangs that would like, even if you were a prostitute, there, there were gangs, but they were like pimps. So they would go to the prostitute and say, like, hey, if you pay us a certain amount of money, we'll protect you. There was one particular woman at the time who denied this gang. She's like, no, I don't want your protection. I'm not giving you any of my money. This is my hard-earned money. And she was a woman of the streets. They actually gang-raped her. Gang-raped her up in a very brutal way to where she ended up in the hospital and she ended up dying from this. They oh, were never man. apprehended. They were never of found. It was never said because of the job that she did. So it was dangerous. So not only is it dangerous because you're a woman on the street, now you're doing this. Now you got to worry about not only some John killing you, you got to worry about this gang right. killing you too. Or it's just a really dangerous and tragic time to be a woman, especially right. in this situation. So what, I, what I'm getting to is no one asked to be in this situation. Nobody right. wants to be in a particular, in this spot. So that's what she's trying to reiterate. She's like, these aren't bad women. We just don't know everything. You can't just judge a book by its cover. We need to talk about these women and all the things that happened to them. And stop glamorizing this killer, this awful, this creature, this demon that's never going to be found. Why can't we talk about this? You know, they say that a lot now. Mm -hmm. It's relevant to even now. Like, a lot of true crime stuff, they're like, you know, there's a lot of books, so many books about Ted Bundy. You know, and even podcasts, episodes, and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. But not a lot of people can name even one victim of his. Yeah. Because those books aren't focused on the victims and who they were. Mm -hmm. You know, it was focused on Ted Bundy. Like, I get the, you know, I can't imagine somebody going, you know, doing something like this. And, I, and I'm not trying to say, like, I'm a holier than thou here. Like, I'm not going to, you know, step off my soapbox here for a second. Because mm -hmm. I'm just as much intrigued by true crime as anybody else would yeah, be. Yeah, me too. But this has definitely opened my eyes now that I listen to it. Now right. that I listen to it, I'm like, okay, then I can sympathize more. And think, right. you know, I, I love this book. I loved it. I loved her. Thank you. Thank you, Hallie. You know, you've, 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 you know, turned me on a certain way. I actually heard a theory that uh, some people thought that the, uh, that Jack might've actually been a member of the aristocracy or something, which is part of the reason why Scotland Yard was hesitant to do anything or even pursue it. Because if he's a member of the aristocracy of the Royal family, you don't want the scandal attached to uh, the royals or the aristocracy because the commoners would, uh, well, kind of go nuts. So you just say, we didn't find anyone. Yeah, Terribly sorry, you know. But the whole point is, let's put a highlight on these women. They're not all prostitutes. They're not they all. They weren't. Only two out, of, disposable. Like I said, two out of the five were either known prostitutes at the time or they had been prostitutes in the past. Consider, however, the way these women were cut up. The person who did this had to have some knowledge of human physiology and anatomy. This wasn't just yeah. some pimp with a knife. This was someone who was, who was probably a trained surgeon. And the way that it kept getting worse and worse and worse and worse, and ultimately with that. But she does have a theory on, since they weren't prostitutes, how did he get to them? Right. And her theory was because they slept rough because they slept on the streets. And they, they the way their body was positioned, they were either sitting or laying down. She was thinking they probably, sn he snuck up on them when they were sleeping. And most of these women, for the exception of the last woman, they were all mid to late 40s. These were older women. You're asleep. You're less likely to fight back. 
you know, and that's what she was saying. She's like, be, I don't think they were problems. He caught up on them when they're sleeping. And, you know, there's been a lot of serial killers that prey on people who are sleeping or prey on someone that's inebriated. You know what I mean? It's not such a far stretch. They did toxicology back then, so we don't know. But I think part of it, because them being older, that they were even more disposable. Yeah. Because you're no longer, like if you were a prostitute, obviously they they would gravitate to the younger one. And now these ladies are a lot older, so they're like, oh, then people don't care about you as much or something. And they did say that them being prostitutes, being older women was least likely to. It's not like they, they didn't exist, but it was right. least likely to happen because you're a little bit older. Right. You know, and so I'm just going to say a little bit about each lady since, you know, the first victim, of course, was Miss Mary Ann Polly Nichols. She was 43 at the time. She was born in 1845, and she, her date of death was August 21st of 1888. She grew up with her parents. She lost a mother, a sibling, and a mother really young. She was married really young. Her family was like lower middle class. Like they didn't have a lot of money, but they had a little bit. So at this time in England, they's Peabody. He started making these Peabody buildings in England. And it was kind of like, in my head, what I got out of it, like he's making like that first set of the projects. Like he's making that first, like I'm making these pretty buildings in the slums. It's going to be great. It's going to be beautiful. It offered indoor plumbing. You had to share it, but it was there. Right. He, there was a bath. You know, you had to share it with everybody. A laundry, you had to share it, but it was there. And these people, and he, like, he only wanted, like, the best of caliber people. People with morals. People who didn't drink. People who, families. You know, so they had to go to, like, this rigorous... um, Screening process. Screening process in order to get into this building. And her and her husband and their three kids were able to get in this building. Polly and her husband. And it was in this building for... They had to share, of course, their bathroom laundry with another family. And that family had a young daughter named Rosetta who Polly's husband ended up having an affair with. Oh. And Polly, she lost um, a couple of her kids, and her father died, her sibling died, and it was all just at one time. And I think she had a little bit of postpartum, I think, because one of the babies that was just born. And just all this collection of this. And you have to think again that that time they didn't think mental health was, you know, there was nothing, there's no such thing, you know, or addiction. Or mental illness. Addiction, you know what I mean? So she turned to drink. And when you're in this building, you can't drink. Like, that's one of the things. You can't be a drunkard. You know, you have to be pure. You have to be religious, whatever. So she, it's just kind of all caught up with her. And she's like, you know what? I'm going to drink. I'm going to do what I want. I don't want to be with you anymore. And she left him. So she left him with the kids and she took off. And now when a woman does that, of course, it's frowned upon. But even then it was like, what? She what? left her f- husband and children? You know what I mean? And... Yeah, so she she made it any way she could because she didn't have any money, you know. And jobs and for women of her class were very menial jobs, and it took all day, you know, like sweatshop type work. Right. So of course, you know, she, you know, she lived in the slums. She slept rough. She did what she had to do, you know, to make it. And of course, she was. She became a victim. Yeah, she she had an addiction that she couldn't handle. I'm not gonna really. I really don't want to talk about the crime itself. You know, we no. know what happened to her, and I don't want to glamorize any more than it is. So just talk about a little bit about Polly. So Polly, of course, she was the first victim of Jack the Ripper. And it was really sad because they talk about uh, her family member having to to go and find her because they haven't seen her in, like, months. It was her ex-husband who had to come and find her. Oh, man. And, you know, just to see someone. It doesn't matter who it is, but to see your significant other, your, you know, your old significant other in that state had to be just absolutely, you know, whatever they had between them, that just had to be heartbreaking. Right. So. Fortunately, that was Miss Mary Ann Polly Nichols. 
Um, the second victim was Miss Annie Chapman. She was 48 at the time. Um, she grew up with her father in the military, so they moved around a lot. They had a, they had a little bit of money. They're mostly well-to-do because her dad was in the military. And she married a gentleman who worked for, like, not a royal family, but, like, a, like a probably somebody on the outskirts of it. Somebody that had okay. money. So her husband right. worked for somebody who had money. So they had a little bit more money. And she's actually one of the, one of the women in here who had probably the most out of the, the rest of them was Annie. Annie had so a house. So once again, she wasn't a prostitute. Yeah. Yeah. So Annie had, her family had money, but just, just tragedy just seemed to follow her around with Annie and deaths of children, father, whatnot. And she, of course, also turned to drink. Her and her husband lived on the estate of her, of his employer and his employer's like, I can't have your wife around here drunk. You need to right. figure something out. So Annie didn't want to put her family in any more of a position than she was already doing because she felt like her personal addiction was just kind of bringing everybody down. So she was like, you know what, I'm going to leave. So she left and she found herself in Whitechapel. So I, she was really good into needlework. She was a needlework lady. Like there was like a farmer's market. That's what I would imagine. It's like a farmer's market type situation. <laughs> she would sell her needlework. And oh, that's how okay. she made her little that's bits good. of money. That's how she was able to afford lodging. That was how she was able to afford her little meals. Wasn't a lot. You know, she had to rough it. She had to sleep rough. And unfortunately, one of the nights she was sleeping rough was when her untimely demise Elizabeth Long Liz Stride. She was born in Sweden to a farming family. She was 45 at the time when, you know, her passing. Um, she came to the city for employment, like in Sweden. Like she wanted to come. She wanted to see. She wanted new experiences. She was a young right. lady. She wanted to break out. You know what I mean? She was tired of her family, her farm life. She figured out quickly that she needed more money. And she was actually one of the prostitutes. So this is when she started her career okay. in Sweden. And she stopped because she had caught there, there was a big thing about... Um, but I know that, that it was syphilis. Yeah, it was like <laughs> syphilis. And she actually stopped doing what she was doing because she was pregnant at the time. So mm. she decided to get her job, get her life you know, back on track. She's about to have a baby. But unfortunately, um, her baby girl was born a stillborn. So she's like, you know what? I got to get out of Sweden. This is too much for me. I'm tired of always being looked at like the syphilis girl. So she left Sweden. She came to England. Sorry, that was a little. That was a little bit. But that's how they looked at him. They would like the syphilis girl. That's that's how they looked at it in that town. They would always get round him up, tell everybody like it was a big spectacle because of what you had, and because she was a woman again, you're being loose. As opposed to the guy who gave it to you. Yeah, as opposed to that. That's never the case. Yeah. So she did come to England. She married a gentleman and her life seemed to be going straight. He was an older gentleman. They had a little coffee shop, little restaurant. But when the business kind of suffered her marriage suffered. They ended up getting a divorce. They ended up separating. She ended up um, living with a guy in Whitechapel and they had a really volatile relationship. You'll notice with a lot, a few of these ladies that their relationships were always a little volatile because drinking, addiction, no right. money, you know, pretty much in, like not having money seems to be a big deal in all these relationships. Just like any modern relationship, no money seems to be a cause of, you know, of that. that and back in those days, it was not uncommon to treat women like property. So there were a lot of guys who were just complete jerks. Yep. And hers was one of them. She, unfortunately, <laughs> she met her untimely demise. And actually she, her and the next woman I'm about to speak of, Catherine Eddowes, they are known for the double, the double night, which is, you know, there was two women killed by Jack Thorpe on the same night. All right. But a lot of people theorize that Elizabeth was actually killed by her boyfriend. A lot, some people theorize that she was killed by her boyfriend because he was an abusive jerk. And because it didn't mirror how the other ones went. A lot of people think she's not. Some people think she is. But, you know, who's to say? And Catherine Eddowes, she was 46 at the time of her passing. She was born in 1842. She died on September 30th, 1888. Um, Catherine's actually a little different. Her family, they come from like a little lower middle class family. Like, And her thing was her dad always wanted her to be educated. She always wanted her to read. 
So she was she was one of the ones that went to school. Like she went far in school. Like they wanted to, her to go as far as she could. And that was kind of unheard of, of course, at that time being a woman, you know, and her parents are pushing her to be to be in school. Of course, tragedy follows. Um, her mother died when she was 13. Her father died a couple of years later. Oh, man. So she was, yeah, she was an orphan. So her and her siblings were turned over to a workhouse, which a workhouse, Ugh. yeah, a workhouse is kind of like prison, but you can leave a workhouse. But think of Ugh. those conditions. And they often send people to those for being in debt. So like, Ugh. sort of like, let's say you owe Visa 20 grand or something like that. In those days, they actually sent you to some place to work your debt off. And it was terrible it's conditions. Like mob style. Yeah, it's terrible conditions. It's it's filthy. Just think of what the slums is. That's what's going on in there. Uh-huh. You barely get food, but you got to work. And she was sent to that when she was a teenager. But luckily, her an aunt and uncle actually took her out of that. She started going to school again. She had a job. But unfortunately, she stole from that job. And so her aunt and uncle were like, you know what? We can't take care of this girl. She's got issues. So they sent they were going to send her back, but she went to go live with her grandfather instead. When she lived with her grandfather, it seemed like she did a little bit better. She loved to. She was known for having a beautiful singing voice, you know, and she was really pretty. She got married young to Thomas Conway. They had three kids. They were really poor, but they were making do. Um, he was also abusive with her. And he was a teetotaler, which means he was religious. So he hated the fact that she drank. And he would beat her even more because she drank. And a lot of people were like, oh, you know, he's beating on her. But they're like, she drinks, so she deserves it. Ugh. Sanctimonious religious jerk. So. Yeah, so she left her husband and children because she just couldn't deal with him beating the crap out of her, and she just didn't like the life that they had together. So she left. She lived with her partner, John Kelly, in Whitechapel, and they were kind of like traveling tramps. Like he, like they, she would sing and put on a show, and he would do something else, and they kind of did that for years. They never got married. They kind of just were shacking up. And, of course, they had a volatile relationship, too. He, he was, I think he had the wandering eye. She drank. You know, they never had money. So, of course, there's always an issue. She actually passed, you know, this happened. She was actually staying in the shed. The ladies in the neighborhood called it the shed. It was some literally somebody's shed in the street that they would all, like, kind of bungle up together, and they would sleep in there together. And she was actually found near there, which oh, thinking wow. that she was probably making her way there, which I think he, maybe he was waiting for somebody to come and just kind of chose her. So my last, my last victim here is Mary Jane Kelly. She was 25 at the time. So she was the youngest of the victims, which everyone thought was yeah, kind of strange. You know, because all the other ladies were in their mid to late 40s. She was born in Ireland. Not a lot is known about her because she was born in Ireland. And she also did never really let anybody in. And she would always tell tales. So nobody really knows where she was born, what she was, you know, anything about her past, other than what she told people. That- they treated the Irish pretty badly back then, so so she's probably being treated like a third-class citizen anyway. Like right off the bat, huh? Yeah, you're like, oh, you're Irish? Yeah. Most of the stories came from her boyfriend, Joseph Barnett. He ended up telling it after she passed. So apparently she came from a moderately wealthy family who disowned her, but she kept in contact with her sister. I didn't, I couldn't find out why they disowned her. But when she was 16 years old, she was married to a coal miner. Um, but then a few years later, he actually died in an explosion uh-huh. in the coal, in the mine. Teesh. So she was like a widow at like 19. So when that happened, she went to live with a cousin in Wales. Okay. And while she was in Wales, her cousin that she lived with, they, you know, she make enough money. And actually, it's been said that her cousin was actually the one that got her into prostitution, like kind of showed her the ways, I guess. So she was another one of the ones that was a known prostitute. She figured out, you know, I, probably, I could probably make more money in like a, a big city like London. Like London. So she was actually known to work in like the high class brothels in London. 
So these are the girls that had the nice clothes. You know, they could afford mm-hmm. a carriage. They could afford somebody to pretty much they could afford an Uber whenever they wanted to. <laughs> that this was the kind of girl that she was. That's how I'm trying to. That's how I took it. Right. And while she was there, she met a John who promised her everything in the world. He'll take her out of her poverty. He'll marry her. He's going to take her to Paris. He's going to do all these beautiful things for her. Like, you know, like a Moulin Rouge. She's just going to take her and go. You know, like they're so in love. So she goes with this guy to Paris. But unbeknownst to her, she was actually trafficked. He took her to Paris and he actually pimped her out. He was like her pimp. So he would like beat her and take away all her things. He took away all her nice clothes and put her in like shitty clothes when she was in Paris. And he made her work the streets. So she finally actually got away from him. She escaped and she went back to London. So at this time, this is where people think she, her real name wasn't Mary Jane Kelly. A lot of people think she had a different name because she was trying to get away from these guys, you know, oh, so okay. she didn't want to go back into what she was doing. So she kind of, that's why they think she picked Whitechapel was to kind of keep low key. So she couldn't go back to her high class brothel because they would find her, right. you know what I mean? And she made money. So of course you're going to go and look for the one who made their money. You know, they're going to, they're not going to let some prostitute like, get the best of them you know what i mean these aren't guys that just let things go that's why she was in Whitechapel, trying to just keep low profile she and a lot of people don't really think her name was mary jane kelly she also told everybody different names she had like dozens of nicknames like right? like blondie ginger dark all these different nicknames and she was also known to drink but she was the only one out of the trio that actually had like a room she had like a little tiny room to herself you know, think studio apartment without kitchen and bathroom kind of situation, just a room. She made her little money. I mean, I'm not sure if she was an active prostitute at the time. I want to say she was, but I think Joseph Barnett worked his ass off so she wouldn't have to. Like, he was really, truly in love with her. And, you know, of course, issues with many and her drinking, you know, caused things. So there was one particular night where they got into a fight and she threw a bottle at him and she broke the window in her room. So she had a big hole in her window. And... It just so happened she was coming home one night. She was going to bed. And that's the night that she was actually killed by Jack the Ripper. And a lot of people believe he got in through that window that was broken. Man. So they don't think that he was a client of hers. They think that he just happened, just happenstance. Like he just found. I see. You know, because she didn't really match the other pattern of the other women. Right. Because she was young and pretty. And she was, and sickening as it is, because she's the youngest and the prettiest of the victims, she's the one that gets the most attention, you know, which is. You know, that you, when you hear, and also because her, her murder was the most brutal out of all of them. They talk about it, how she's always like, you know, they'll poster her up because of the way she looked. And you're like, again, you're not paying attention to the other four victims here. Right. I highly recommend this book. It was great. It was a good read. It's long. It's, it is sad, unfortunately. It really is. Because you know the outcome. But it truly just talks about these women and how important they really are. You know, we need to put more emphasis on the victims of certain cases. Which is true, we should, you know. And of course, that's not, you know, that's not going to take away the interest of what you have in the crimes. Of course, we're always going to have that big of intrigue. Give a little love to the ladies. So, um, that's good. I'm glad so, you did. Yeah. So, for Miss Marianne Polly Nichols, Miss Annie Chapman, Miss Elizabeth Stride, Miss Catherine Eddowes, and Miss Mary Jane Kelly, rest in peace, lovely ladies. Well, we also have to consider the fact that even nowadays, if someone murders a prostitute, the police, uh, the police's basic attitude is, yeah, we'll get right on that. You know, it's like they, they're considered, well, kind of disposable members of society because of what they do. Someone's going to say, why aren't you trying to solve this problem in my neighborhood? Or why aren't you trying to solve the murder of this important person or this person of note? In fact, uh, I was watching something on television late the other night. And they were showing like uh, 
one of these forensic uh, busts that someone did of someone whose body was found in the uh, early 1980s. And they were able to like reconstruct her face based on just uh, her skull. And they said, okay, we were able to identify this woman from dental records. Her name was, and they said what her name was. She'd worked as a prostitute and blah, blah, blah. Chances are the person who killed her was one of her, one of her Johns. Mm-hmm. But we still think this case is important. It doesn't matter who she is and what she did. Someone took her life. But on the, but like you were saying, for the most part, considering how bad it is now and how people are like, oh, well, this is just some person on drugs or this is just some prostitute or this is just fill in the blank. How much worse would it have been during, say, the Victorian age when these people were seriously looked down upon? Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, when a woman who... You would look down upon for just being a woman. Exactly. When women above the age of 25 who weren't married were looked down upon. Mm-hmm. I mean, so what are the odds that random woman who's actually a sex worker is going to be treated like something you're scraping off your shoe, which is really sad. Yeah. And they talk a lot about it, like the cops and how they treated them. And a lot of them were ill-equipped. Like this isn't some, this is so out of scale from what they're used to, what they didn't have. So this right. was a whole nother thing that they... They just they just weren't ready for it. Cops frequently abuse them uh, on the streets. I've heard that, yeah. No. Man, that was heavy. (laughs) That was a heavy book that you chose for this. It was so good, though. The way she tells... And she she has such a way with imagery, so you do feel like you're right there. Like, she talks about the sights, the smells, the way things look, the pattern of this. And I'm just like, I'm right there in the pub with these ladies. You know what I mean? And it's... It's really good. The podcast is wonderful. Even if you want to read the book, listen to the podcast. It's great. One of the best I've ever listened to. It's so good. So I'm going to move along to my quiz. Yay. To lighten it up just a little bit. (laughs) Yay, (laughs) quiz. Usually it's like opposite. I'm the light mood. You're like the Right. I'm like the crying one. But I did go to England, so it's another country. Of course. course. For the record, the prostitute in my book made it to the end. There you go. There you go. That's stiletto. Good to know, good to know oh, yeah. that catch-22 one. Okay, all right. All right. So um, I got it off of mentalfloss.com. It's 56 delightful Victorian slang terms. Okay. So oh, I'm going to give you a slang term, again. and you guys tell me what you think it is. Probably Jesse or Pyre knows all of these. <laughs> all right. Okay. So number one, bang up to the elephant. Bang up to the elephant. Bang up to the elephant. Like you're you're asking us what we think it means. Mm-hmm. What do you think it means? Okay. Bang up to the elephant. Jesus. Okay, I got to be completely honest. I have no clue. Bang <laughs> up to. I'm gonna guess though. Okay. Emptying the wallet. Like bang. Oh yeah yeah yeah. Like okay. you go, like going broke. <laughs> I don't know. All right. So it's from it's from 1882. It actually means perfect, complete, unapproachable. Bang up to the elephant. Perfect, complete, unapproachable? unapproachable. What is perfect that's unapproachable? Ellen Mirren. Maybe it's how some guys. <laughs> maybe you know how some women are so beautiful, guys just won't because they're so terrified. So they will say Ellen Mirren. That chick yeah. is bang up to the elephant. To the elephant. I'm gonna remember this. Yeah. All right. So I'm thinking food though. <laughs> All right. Um, what is a church bell? A church bell. You take this one. I'm going to assume that's one of those very large dresses that women wore back then. Oh, okay. Okay. Oh. But I could be wrong. Oh, I don't know. You keep going. A church bell is a talkative woman. 
Oh my god, so you and I are church bells, church I guess. Bells. Oh. I was yeah. ballpark, okay, never mind. Yeah, I was, I was like, that was actually pretty good. I was like, oh yeah, the church bell. That the makes dresses. sense. Yeah. Alright. Cop up a mouse. Oh lord. You need a cup up a, a mouse. mouse. Cop a mouse. Cop a mouse. Yeah. So. Getting someone to, to tell you something, I think. Like confessing? Like getting someone to tell you a secret of some sort, maybe. Yeah. It means actually to get a black eye. Oh god! A mouse. A cop the mouse. They said because of the it was small. It's blue gray. Uh, cop a mouse. I cop a mouse. Like yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I, see, I'm learning ancient Cockney slang because I. There you go. Yeah, it's Victorian era, so it could be from like 1870 to like <laughs> 1900. I would say. Roughly. Okay. That's what I'm thinking of this. Okay. So okay, here you go, guys, guys, guys. Doing the bear. <laughs> All right, doing the doing bear. Doing the bear. Uh, I'm going to guess meaning. Oh God, I have... let's say sleeping. Sleeping. Okay. Go. Okay. So it's actually courting that involves hugging. Oh. You're doing the bear. Hey, we were doing a bear in here. Is that doing, where they started hey, bear, bear hugs? Yeah, that's what I'm assuming. <laughs> I, doing the I bear. Give us a snogan, eh? All right, guys. What is a mutton shunter? A mutton shunter. Mutton shunter. Me old mate, mutton shunter. Maybe like like a weapon of some sort? Mutton okay. shunter. We are so blank on this one. I have no bloody clue. I gotta be completely honest. It's actually a police officer is a mutton shunter. Oh. I thought in my head, I was like, mutton shunter, that's like a barber. You know, because yeah, like mutton uh. chops. That's what I thought. Yeah, that's what I thought. But it was a police officer because like an unfortunate person would call like mutton. So mutton shunter, like somebody, I guess, like a gathering. Ah. My last one, and I think it's hilarious. So this is where the expertise come out on I this one. I thought the bear one was hilarious. Doing the bear. Hey, we're doing the bear, and weren't we? Hey, it's quite nice. All right, guys. Quite nice. Doing yeah. the bear. Um, so my last one, guys. Not up to dick. Not up to dick. Not up to dick. Good night, everybody. <laughs> Jesse has left the building. Okay, let's no, see. No, I'm uh, kidding. Not up to dick. Um, I say you're not classy enough. Okay, so not classy. So not classy enough, I would say. You're asking a guy, a middle-aged guy with not up to dick. Uh, okay. Okay, dick usually being some kind of detective, meaning something's not up to snuff or something's just no good. Not well. Not well. That's what it means. Not well. Oh, not like, up to like dick. you're sick. Like not well, or maybe that. Oh, it's not not up to dick. Like, something's not quite right. Yeah. Oh. Nothing's not quite right. It's not, it's not well. So wow. Yeah. Good job. Good job on that one. Yep. We're learning new things every yes, day. Con- yeah, I went from you know really sad to doing the bear. <laughs> doing the bear. <laughs> I have a terrible British accent, by the way. <laughs> it's not good. It's worse. It's worse than most of my accents I've done on the show. All right, guys. I think that concludes our books for today. Uh, that was really fun. I know. And I was so, I'm so excited that we had a guest, Jesse. Yeah. Thank you for. I was happy to have been here, you know, and, you know, to be the oldest person in the room. but you had to come back this was this was awesome i really enjoyed it it would be an honor and a privilege but it's gonna cost you a cup of tea yeah we had to meet in person yeah for sure cup of tea Uh, yes but of course it has to be some tea involved you see i just went english there so yeah yes yes 
<laughs> the elderly man, great thing, yes. Well, if a husband gave you a mouse, it's because you've done something. So the fact that you're in my court right now is a bit offensive, so do piss off. It sounds like the banker from Mary Poppins. <laughs> And then of course, I have no idea, guys. You've never seen um, Mary Poppins? No. When they, when the dad takes the kids to the bank where he works, like take your kids to work day, and there's this old ass man that runs the bank. He's like, I do sure. Like that's what everyone <laughs> thinks every old English man sounds like. It's him. <laughs> yeah, he's like, I do sure. Give me your money. I and actually then, like, got that like, from uh, something I saw with some elderly English guy who was supposed to be some dude with dementia who'd been in the army or something who was telling these stories that never went anywhere. Oh, yes, it was in 1847, you see, and, and out of the blue, Reginald just kicked me in the testicles. Yes, bloody nasty, that is. You know you're British if you have a homie named Reginald <laughs> and you don't have a nickname for him. You oh, know mate, you're British. It's, it's quite nice, isn't it? I mean, if you've ever been on an English dairy farm, I mean, you've been around, haven't you? And oh you, my gosh. And you do know somebody who tells stories that don't end. We're not going to say who it is, <laughs> but you and I both know who it is. Anyway, guys. It's not Jesse, by the way. It's not Jesse, guys. <laughs> that was our midway check in. We're currently reading In Five Years by Rebecca Searle. Mm-hmm. And that is it for today. Yes. Thank you, Jesse, for coming by. And we went up and down on the roller coaster of emotions and mm-hmm. info. It was both an honor and a privilege. Thank you. It was fun. And silent round of applause because I don't want to mess with the microphone. (laughs) (laughs) But next week is our quick mini uh, mini sode of book shout outs. Mm -hmm. And you guys can check us out on our website, Mm -hmm. bookscatsnacks.com. And we're on Instagram. Yes, we are. But thanks for stopping by. Jesse, thank you. Oh, before I leave, there is a book I would like to recommend. It is thought by many to be the first novel ever ever written by Murasaki Shikibu, uh, which is called The Tale of Genji. If you've ever seen a soap opera, I promise you, you're going to see at least one of the uh, plot lines somewhere in this novel. It is a brick that's roughly about 1,700 pages involving the bastard son of an emperor and the... Uh, and life in the uh, Heian court around, uh, I want to say, the 12th century in Japan. It's interesting. It's different. Oh, yeah. That's that's definitely out. Yeah. You're going to have to talk about that <clears throat> more on when oh, I yeah. see you again. The next check-in. That's your... Again, it's one... Some woman did her doctoral dissertation on this thing. Oh, wow. Yeah. It's like she was being interviewed by NHK. It's like... This is Dr. So-and-so. She did her dissertation on the tale of Genji. I'm like, considering how thick the damn book was, just by getting a couple of, a few quotes out of there, you could have written a dissertation for God's sake, but okay. Can you imagine, <laughs> imagine like the, the cast of characters in that book? Jesus. Uh, it, we literally follow the man for the entirety of his life. And at one point during the last three chapters, we find out he died two chapters earlier. And you're like, what the F, man? Okay, okay. I want to know more, but next time. (laughs) Spoiler alert, everyone. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, bye, guys. Bye. Bye. Bye.